If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk, and I'm your host, Todd Huff. Today's a little bit different of a day as we are welcoming to the program Jay Height of Shepherd Community Center to talk about um, some of the things that they're doing, some of the good work, and not just that, but also how this, um, just the role really that that uh, this plays, that folks like Shepard play in the conservative ideology. Because as I've uh, shared before, as I've shared be- before, there's a perceived weakness amongst conservative or people that are criticizing conservatism, that conservatives don't care about people, conservatives only care about themselves, conservatives are greedy jerks that want the rest of the world who doesn't have um, have much or whatever the case may be to to suffer profoundly so that we can uh, you know you know the folks I'm talking about but I I want to explore some things with Jay and it's a pleasure to have him on the program but before we do that we'll do that next uh, next segment I want to talk I want to share this I want to share this I want to share this uh, this soundbite um, you may have heard this. I saw this yesterday on Twitter. Um, former Fox News producer or associate producer Kyle Becker posted this. This was on C-SPAN. And um, sharing – okay, so we know the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the United States, It that group, that body meets to determine what cases they're actually going to be to be hearing. And normally – and um, this will be made known in the in the soundbite. If you didn't know this already, what happens is the nine justices get together. They talk about it in the closed door meeting. Normally, it's pretty. You know, you don't hear a ruckus. These are uh, very academic-like individuals that go into that meeting, and everyone shares their opinions. This is why, by the way, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice. Anthony and Scalia could have been friends. They had tremendous disagreements on the Constitution, tremendous disagreements on uh, the role of the Constitution, whether or not the Constitution is living and breathing. Um, but they could be they could be friends. They they got along personally well, and that was that was uh, revealed to us in more detail when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed here led this uh this a couple of months ago 
So, but that wasn't the case. And I want I want to play this because there's uh, there's been notes that have been shared by individuals in that Supreme Court when the Texas case, the Texas case, right? We had Texas a couple of weeks ago uh, that was supported by what was it, sixteen other states or some such thing, seventeen maybe. Texas says, hey, these states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, and Wisconsin, I believe, were the four mentioned, the four named. They have effectively violated the Constitution, the Elector's Clause, and um, Equal Protection Clause, too, I believe. And so they, they can't – they've caused harm to us because they didn't follow their rules – and by not following their rules, um, they've changed effectively who their – well, who their candidate is going to be uh, through the Electoral College. And that harms all of us because this is a candidate that all the states have agreed, the president. We have a very specific way that we're supposed to elect this individual, and they've basically abdicated their responsibilities there. It's caused great harm to us. So that's kind of the stage it's set here, and I want you to listen to these words. I want you to listen to what um, someone inside the Supreme Court noted, one of the workers there, clerk or whomever, uh, shared, well, has made known what happened inside that, that room when they were deciding whether or not they would hear the Texas case. Here it is. Uh, the talks of... Uh, uh it was written by someone who's a current staffer uh, for one of the Supreme Court justices. And this, I'll just describe the report to you that I read, and you can make of it what you will. Um, he said that the justices, as they always do, went into a closed room to discuss you know, cases they're taking or do debate. There's no phones, no computers, no nothing. No one else is in the room except for the nine justices. It's typically very civil. Um, they usually don't hear any sound. They just debate what they're doing. But when the Texas case was brought up, he said he heard screaming through the walls as Justice Roberts and the other liberal justices were insisting that this case not be taken up. Um, and the reason, the, the words that were heard through the wall um, when Justice Thomas and Justice Alito were citing uh, Bush versus Gore from John Roberts were, I don't give up about that case. I don't want to hear about it. At that time, we didn't have riots. So what he was saying was that he was afraid of what would happen if they did the right thing. And I'm sorry, but that is moral cowardice. And, and we in the SREC, I'm an SREC member, we put those words in very specifically because the charge of the Supreme Court is to ultimately be our final arbitrator, our final line of defense for right and wrong. And they did not do their duty. So I think we should leave these words in. Okay, so the technicalities there as to what this, uh, what's happening here on C-SPAN. But the point here, the point here is that you have allegedly, according to what a staffer has shared, 
that you know basically the process by which the Supreme Court decided not to take the Texas case involved emotions from a group of folks that really um, should approach this unemotionally. We've talked about this before. We've talked about what Justice Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing said. If if you don't occasionally disagree with one of your decisions as a judge, as now a Supreme Court justice, then you are not following the law because there's no way there's no way that you disagree with or that you agree with everything in that law. There's no way. At some point, if you're following the law, it's going to require that you follow it in spite of your personal preferences. You're supposed to be you know, non-emotional. You're supposed to look at the facts. And he's in there screaming, according to te- – well, not testimony, but to uh, to notes taken, to reports given um, from someone inside the Supreme Court, a staffer, saying that he or she is listening to John Roberts scream at Justices Alito and Thomas. By the way, kudos to them for standing up for the Constitution, for the rule of law, for at least the – desire to say let's hear this this is our this is we have original jurisdiction here this is between the states this is an important issue this is why we should probably be involved and john roberts basically according to a staffer in the supreme court says i don't want to hear about that Uh, bush versus gore back in 2000 we were not living in a time where we had um you know where we were looking at riots. So now, basically, you think about this: where the the ramifications of this lead? If you have enough people that will do enough, well, you know, uh, wreak enough havoc, destroy enough property, burn enough things down, folks are okay in the Supreme Court. At least John Roberts is, and possibly the other six uh, that voted alongside him on this issue, not to to listen to this case. Um, if enough folks are going to get angry about you following the law, I guess it's now considered uh, legitimate or reasonable not to follow the law. This, my friends, is a travesty for the Supreme Court. And if this is the way that this is going to be done, this is the way this is going to be done in the Supreme Court, um, we're witnessing the end of law and order in this society. I mean, it's it's remarkable to think about. Oh, Todd, there's an exception here. You know, this is this is difficult times. We don't want to upset the apple cart. Okay, so that's the side that does it riot should be punished because the side that does riot, if the law is on the other folks' side, the side that does riot is going to burn everything down. So suddenly, the law doesn't matter. Remarkable to hear these words uttered. I've got to take a break. Come back, and I want to share my conversation with Jay Hyde, the executive director, Shepherd Community Center. Sit tight. Back here in just a minute. For those of you that have been listening to this program for any length of time, you would have heard by now from our friends at Shepherd Community Center, and they are doing a campaign here at Christmas, caring at Christmas. I have Jay Height, the executive director of Shepherd, on the phone. Jay, thanks for joining us. How are you today, sir? Doing great, and we appreciate already the, the support of your show and your listeners. 
We do uh, appreciate your partnership. We appreciate what you do. So for folks that don't know, I mean, I've, I've talked about this on the program, but tell us specifically what Caring at Christmas is, how you, um, you know, serve those folks in need in your community and kind of where that, that idea or that need came from. Yeah, this is an opportunity for us to help parents provide Christmas for their children. They're uh, from birth uh, all the way up to our uh, through 18 through high school. And the idea in this is we want to help parents who are struggling this Christmas season by providing them the opportunity. They pay $5 for each kid that they want to shop for. And then next week, the parents will be coming to a store that we set up with all new toys, hats, gloves, socks, underwear. Uh, we have boots this year and some other clothing items. And the parents get to select what they want. And then the, they are able to um, – it's, it's different because of COVID. So they actually will sit in our parking lot and with a, um, a clean, sanitized iPad, they will – set in their car and we will take them through the building so they can select what they want and it's it's really about them providing christmas for their family and the kids never know we're involved this is about helping parents and then after the gifts are selected we have volunteers who will be here wrapping those gifts and then take them out to the car for the parents um we've asked each of them of the families to donate five dollars per student that they're shopping for, they get about $120 to $140 worth of gifts. And the idea behind that is uh, we take that money and we want them to be giving at Christmas as well. And none of the parents have complained about this. They actually, I think it makes them feel good that they're able to do something. Mm -hmm. And we provided a check out to uh, the Navajo Reservation to some churches and ministries that work on the res that uh, they can provide Christmas on the res this year. And we're um, appreciative for the work that goes on there and want our families to know they may be struggling, but we want to be people who are givers as well. Well, people have heard me talk about this a lot, but tell folks where they can go to help out if they want to participate in that. Well, they can go to uh, caringatchristmas.com. And uh, there's ways that they can be involved. They can call us here at Shepherd at 317-375-0203 and find out ways. Uh, they can actually donate. They can go in on our virtual stores and purchase items and have them shipped here. Uh, but what we do is that by the time all of our families, and we'll help over a 1,000 kids uh, receive Christmas this year, we have other partners who show up on uh, when we're done and they take everything uh, to provide Christmas to other uh, ministries and churches and organizations that are working hard to provide Christmas as well. We share that. We want all of the gifts that come in for Christmas to go out at Christmas. And so we're excited about those partnerships and to know that our reach is into so many homes. And the idea is to just really share the joy of Christmas uh, the parents while they are able to provide Christmas for their children. Well, it's fantastic what you do. And I like the idea of, of uh, parents 
uh, you know, paying five dollars to you because, like you said, that gives them the opportunity to uh, be involved in that. And uh, there's a difference. I think that it maybe speaks to your shepherd's philosophy on charity and the other ways that you serve the community as well, which is, you know, all of us are created in the image of God. We all have talents, abilities, and so forth. Um, Those who are receiving charitable contributions or gifts or Christmas gifts or whatever, clothing, they're not uh, some sort of a second-class citizen by any stretch. They're just someone who's oftentimes caught up in the cycle of poverty, sometimes have made bad decisions, any number of things, right? And, And you're there to help. So maybe paint the broader picture of what Shepherd does for the community on the Near East side of Indianapolis. Well, to to understand it, we are a continuum. So we begin working with a mom and their child as soon as she's pregnant, and we'll stay engaged with them until that child is into college, is into trade school, is into a career, moving on. And and so we want to engage with both generations to break the cycle of poverty for both generations. Um, And so in this continuum, from Project Jordan to our preschool and our child care center to our elementary school and our elementary after school and our summer programs and middle school, high school. You know, this year we're excited to say we helped 17 kids start college on full rides and uh, have several more upperclassmen at two different colleges, Taylor University and Oakland City University, partner with us in a program called Act 6. Um, but we're also helping other students go to IEPY, Tech. There's there's a whole litany, but many of them want to go to trade school, so we're helping them get into the trades and, and staying connected with them to help them. It's really about building a life of upward stability and to build 10 assets that we've identified and safety and the basis of that. Um, government has focused on one asset, and that being money, but we know that the war on poverty has been lost, and this last year it's gotten worse, and, and the solution is really us. It's us individually taking responsibility to help our neighbor. Christ told us to love our neighbor, and I think he meant it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and so we want to live that out in a tangible way because I can live life with my neighbor. And government has certain roles, but the, the, war, on well, uh, the war on poverty has lost. And we've instead trapped people in, and we want to help them break out of that and, and move to that life of upward stability. Well, I come at this as a conservative Christian, and I'm not going to ask you to speak on anything political necessarily, but I I think that one of the perceived, and I use the word perceived, weaknesses of conservatism is that we don't have, conservatives don't have a solution for those that are in, you know, difficult circumstances or poverty or what have you. Um, And I think that often comes down to, of course, misunderstanding. Sometimes that's intentional in the media um, and certain politicians. But also, uh, we don't necessarily articulate that very well. So you said something there that really struck a nerve with me, which is, you know, what Jesus said, which is to to help our neighbors. So uh, I guess I guess kind of elaborate on that and differentiate that between the approach you see taken by uh, by government, like you said, it's basically just a, a check in the mail. C- compare and contrast that with what you do and your organization does for that uh, that community. Well, we don't have clients; we have neighbors, and so I can live in relationship 
government is an entity it it isn't relationally connected and what's ravaging our cities is loneliness Mm. and another government program doesn't change that but me calling my my neighbor and checking on them and talking to them and uh, you know while you know connecting while distancing you know the challenge of compassion in, in the COVID era we still can be connected and calling our neighbors and texting them and and stopping by and with mask on and distance on the front porch having conversations to just check in on them that's the power what we can do individually and uh, what made America great was individuals accepting responsibility. When you read of our early church uh, leaders in this country and our early political leaders, they took the responsibility, and, and many of them risked everything. And so it cost many of them their lives. And I think that's what we're called to do today even, and that is to say – the poor in my neighborhood, those that child who's struggling in school is my responsibility because they're my neighbor. And we have to embrace the concept and, and, and take personal responsibility. What I fear is I think it was 55 years ago that Lyndon, uh, Lyndon Johnson, well-intentioned, but has been an absolute failure, declared the war on poverty. I actually stood 50 years to the week on the porch, the, the iconic photos in Martin County, Kentucky, Turkey Creek. And I stood on that same porch and I spoke to Tom Fletcher, who was the, the unemployed coal miner who President Johnson spoke to and the pictures are with. I spoke to his son 50 years later and he said, government promised us a lot, but nothing's changed. I still don't have running water. and I still don't have electricity. He said, do you think the church could help us. And and I think individually in the church, you know, faith thrives in what I do. It has shaped me to be the person I am. And so many of my colleagues, not just at Shepherd Community, but throughout the city and throughout the United States and the world, of Christians who are living out their faith to say, listen, it's my responsibility. And, and you know, the, hearing uh, Calvin say to us, government hasn't changed anything and we know lots of money has been spent to try to to change this and so i think it's it's really relationships that change here at shepherd we've embraced this model of paraclete it's the greek word for the holy spirit in the new testament but it's defined as the one who comes alongside to help carry the load Hmm. and and we have to be paracletes to our neighbors we we have to help them when they're having challenges. And, you know, the beauty of this, uh, my wife and I, Jane and I have lived here in this neighborhood for 25 years. And there's been times when we have gone through difficult times. I can remember when my father-in-law died and and we were out of state and there we are at the funeral uh, and uh, a load, a, a busload of folks from our neighborhood here drove two hours to come be with us because we're family. It's we're not a program. We're not, you know, client to staff rate uh, connection. We we're living life together, and I think that's where change is going to happen. And we've been blessed. And that, you know, my kids lived with and and were in programs with the kids of our neighborhood, and and they're they're their friends still. And my kids are all grown and serving. Uh, throughout the United States uh, in ministry, and, and we're blessed by them. And, 
and their spouses as they serve and particularly as a grandpa blessed by the grandkids you mm-hmm. know that's that's the reward um mm-hmm. for middle school uh but <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um yeah th- we that's that's the difference that we can make it's it's embracing responsibility and and instead of offloading that to the government absolutely well i want to continue this i gotta take a break here but when we come back, you said a couple of things I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper on. But we're with Jay Hyde, Executive Director, Shepherd Community Center. We're partnering with the good folks there um, on a on a Christmas drive. Toys, clothing, uh, you can help out. There's still time to help out. Go to caringatchristmas.com to see how you can do that. And if you sit tight, we'll finish our conversation with Jay on the other side of the break. Back in just a minute. <laughs> So I'm taking a brief interlude here between my the two parts of my conversation with Jay Height of Shepherd uh, Shepherd Community, and I wanted to take a moment because look, this is this is the last chance um, for anyone listening to my voice to participate in caring at Christmas. They'll be um, they'll be opening the store here in a couple of days at Shepherd Community, where folks can can come in. And, and shop for gifts. And I've mentioned toys a lot, but there's there's clothing as well. You can go to caringatchristmas.com and see how you may personally want to uh, to help. But this is your last chance. And I was thinking, too, during the break. I was thinking during the break, you know, you hear a lot about unity. In fact, I, I said yesterday, one of the things that we posted on social media um, that, that came uh, from this show, I, I'm all for unity. I'm all for reconciling. I'm all for uh, coming together with folks, but I'm not for violating my principles, right? So what are we unifying around? And when you look at the federal government, when you look at the folks that are, um, that, well, that have the platform, that are leading the Democrat Party, they're wanting us to unify around things that I simply cannot do. Changing the economy, changing the culture, changing this great nation from what it was founded to be. So I mentioned that only to set the kind of to compare and contrast here between this opportunity. This is an opportunity, and I'm speaking to, I know, the liberals that listen in this audience. I'm speaking directly to you as well. This is our opportunity collectively, people from all ideological walks of life to come together and to help families in need this Christmas season. And I will tell you, I've said this before, but the way that they do it at Shepherd Community is is top-notch. In fact, what Jay talks about, our conversation continues here after the break. He shines some light on some of those 10 assets, as he calls them, that they try to seek to provide or give, you know, help folks navigate um, and help them in 10 different areas, or as he says, assets. Um, and I think that it's it's a beautiful thing. And he, what he talks about relationship is the key. He'll get into that. But here's our last chance. This is this program, this opportunity is coming to a, a rapid end here today. CaringAtChristmas.com. Check it out. For those of you that have, thank you so much. For those of you that have 
been meaning to, uh, take just a moment to, to do that today because it is, uh, it is your last chance to participate and help this, uh, this program, this, this organization serve a much-needed void, provide a much-needed service and help folks in our community. Caring at Christmas.com. Sit tight, take a break, come back and share the rest of my conversation with Jay. Be back here in just a minute. with Jay Height, Executive Director, Shepherd Community Center, Indianapolis, um, talking about their Christmas drive for children in Indianapolis, in the community, in the neighborhood. And uh, you can find out how you can participate in that by going to caringatchristmas.com. There's still time. There's not a lot of time, but there's still time to do that. But anyway, I want to I dig a little bit deeper on a couple things Jay said during the first portion of our interview, one thing you mentioned was the name of the uh, the ministry, Paraclete, and it reminds me, or I guess it, it illustrates or points out to me this this great need we have uh, in society today. Technology has driven us uh, away from interpersonal relationships in many instances, and and loneliness is a massive problem. You're exactly right on that um, around this country. And so I guess talk about uh, maybe the challenges or just what you've observed uh, trying to create these relationships, build these relationships, strengthen these relationships uh, during this, I guess, social media online world where folks are maybe lacking. What have you observed? What have you learned? Well, people are thrilled to stand on the porch and have a conversation. And I think the challenge to us is time. But I think what COVID has done is it's taken our schedule and took that dry erase board and and erased everything and said, now, what are you going to put back on the board? And I think we have to prioritize and value our neighbors and making personal connections. And it starts by knowing who they are, knowing their names. And and it's not just those who live on either side of you or across the street, but it's, it's embracing your neighborhood as a whole. If we can re-neighbor the hood, we'll change it. We're not going to police our way out of these challenges. We, we, um, we've we lost some friends to addictions through this because loneliness is just relentless. And um, and we, we want to stop the, the suicides and uh, overdoses because uh, – and that's happening in every neighborhood because people don't feel like anyone cares. And uh, – I can't fix the city, but I can fix part of it. I can fix my neighborhood, and that's what we each need to to embrace. And you could use technology as a way to stay in connection, but it can't be solely. I mean, there's there's still still a powerful thing that my wife and I experience when we're on a porch talking to one of our friends. Uh, We we help deliver food. There's so many folks here doing great things at Shepherd and. And we just do a small thing on Wednesday mornings, delivering food and talking to them and, and know that our neighbors are thrilled to have someone come to their house. And we're being careful and keep our mask on and all those things. But, man, there's just this powerful jolt when someone says, man, I've been looking forward to seeing you. And and to know that, that there's power in relationship. 
Amen, there is. And I think um, the, the world is in dire need of that. I, uh, I, I've i witnessed that myself, so I, I applaud you for that. The other thing I wanted to kind of sink our teeth in, and I know this is a probably a huge—we uh, just want the 30,000-foot view here, but you mentioned that poverty is— not it's obviously about money, but it's not just about money. There's a lot of other things going on there. So I think you mentioned ten, uh, ten. I don't know factors or assets. Assets. Okay. So explain to us maybe at the thirty thousand foot view what that means, um, what those indicators or assets, as you say, are, and uh, just I guess illuminate that for us a little bit. Yes, and so what I would say is. If you think of the old Indiana Jones movies and you have the swinging bridge there mm-hmm. and you got to figure out how you're going to get across. So think of the assets as the planks. And and so we have 10 planks. If you have three or four of them missing, there's just no way to get across. It, you can't safely navigate that. So when we're trying to help folks to, to move out of poverty to a life of upward stability, not mobility, but stability, we think, and here's the 10, faith, health, support, emotional stability, mental acuity, models, self-advocacy, and knowledge of dominant culture, a future orientation. We would say this, and there's scriptures that go with this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. We want folks to know that they are beautifully and wonderfully made with a purpose. And then finally, income is one of them, but like I said, we believe it's the least of them because we know a lot of wealthy people who are very poor mm-hmm. and and who who struggle with life. And so we want to build those assets to allow them to navigate their way to that life that God has created them for. And so your programs at, at Shepherd, whether they be the Caring at Christmas uh, program that we're talking about or the other services that you provide to your neighborhood, to your community, they're all rooted in addressing one or more of those assets. Is that a, is that a fair way of looking at it? Correct. And so sometimes we do things like Caring at Christmas to help deepen the relationship because in relationship i can help teach and and help our neighbors acquire these these assets absolutely and it just takes it takes time it takes effort it takes commitment but you mentioned something earlier too about having that whiteboard uh, kind of erased uh, with with covid i remember that time in the spring when you know there's a lot of things i can still do from the home studio but there comes a point where um you know, you kind of get caught up on stuff and you do that, that whiteboard, as you said, that metaphor, it gets erased. And then what are we going to put back on it? Are we going to continue right. to put ourselves in the situations? Not that, you know, uh, maybe there's some, some bad habits or some bad priorities that we had. I think most people would at least say that that was something that COVID helped point out to them. Um, but on that board has to be people, right? I mean, you're especially speaking to those who know Jesus. I mean, this is this is up there, love God and love people. So I guess talk to that, uh, speak to that for a moment. Well, um, you know, I we just have to make a decision. It's purposeful. How, how am I going to live my life? 
and and what what is it that I want when folks look back and say this I don't want folks to say look at Jay Hi, look at all the things he did what I want people to say is man I saw Jesus amen someone loved me and I look back at the people who poured into my life my parents and and, and people that God put you know teachers coaches who who helped me in my journey and I am the person I am today because of them and Christ working in my life and and so I I just want to encourage folks to recognize that they are the solution that God has ordained for for our communities and it's not a criticism of government but that's not what government can do it can't instill hope Mm -hmm. government can't they can institute programs um, sometimes and uh, uh, we have to be the folks who come alongside and building these assets in people's lives yeah I appreciate what you do. As I've shared with the audience, and I'll, I'm not just saying this to you, Jay, I think what you guys do is fantastic. I think that your philosophy and, and approach is, is biblical and very philosophically sound. It's good work. You're doing great things. I admire and applaud you. Again, for those that want to help out with this particular campaign, Caring at Christmas.com is where you would go. See how you can provide toys, clothing, other items for children in in need uh, in the neighborhood, in the community, near east side of Indianapolis. Jay, I applaud you. God bless you for what you do. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Folks, I really appreciate you, uh, those of you that have helped with this campaign, Caring at Christmas. I think it's an important thing. It's a great opportunity, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for um, for helping to provide Christmas to those in need this, uh, this holiday season. And this is, um, again, an opportunity for folks who... Uh, of all backgrounds, all ideologies to come together and do something to do something good. And I think if we want to find a way to work together, this is the way to do it. Don't ask me to compromise my principles just for the sake of unity. Throw everything out the window now that they believe the Democrats will be in control. It's time to compromise principles. That's not how we do this, but we can certainly find some common ground in an area like this. So I want to thank Jay his team and what they do. They truly do a remarkable job serving the community on the near east side of Indianapolis. But I've got to go. Thank you so much. Caring at Christmas.com. Last chance, folks. God bless SDGC tomorrow. Take care.